Welcome to another edition of State, your weekly regulatory roundup of relevant regulatory news. Whether you are new to this industry, a chief compliance officer, or just an all-around compliance badass, this podcast is for you. Each week, State will present news that is relevant to our industry in a short and concise format. State is presented to you by Blue Ocean Consulting. At Blue Ocean, we don't want to be just another consulting firm that you use, but a true partner and extension of your compliance team. I am your host, Brian Jacobson, and as always, thank you for listening to State. The week is August 4th, 2023. In this edition of State, we're going to cover some really exciting news, starting with Is it time to start gearing up for SEC and FINRA to begin regulating cryptocurrencies? Trials and tribulations of Monmouth Capital Management? And bye-bye LIBOR, hello secured overnight financing rate. Is it time to start gearing up for SEC and FINRA to begin regulating cryptocurrencies? So the time of the cryptocurrency regulation is here. Both the SEC and FINRA have been very active in posturing around their views on digital assets, cryptocurrencies, and fintechs in general. From the SEC, they've announced a new crypto enforcement initiative. Uh, This will target uh, a variety of cryptocurrencies and mostly related to things such as misconduct, including fraud, market manipulation, and cybersecurity violations. The SEC has also proposed rules related to uh, regulating crypto exchanges. These new rules would require crypto exchanges to register with the SEC and to comply with other requirements such as protecting uh, customer assets and preventing market manipulation. On the FINRA side, Robert Cook, the head of FINRA, has indicated that he will be issuing a, a, and I quote, an early stage concept release type of notice. What the hell that means is your guess is as good as mine, but I'm taking that to mean some type of regulatory notice that provides guidance to firms related to cryptocurrency. Um, He's made it very clear, though, that he's leaving the regulatory framework up to the SEC and Congress, and that is, quote unquote, above his pay grade. The early concept release is expected to look at things such as advertising and disclosure. Uh, Mr. Cook did say that anytime you're involving a member firm in a digital asset, that there's required disclosure elements. And uh, I'm guessing that he's going to focus on customer disclosures in that regard. So having been a chief compliance officer for a broker dealer, RA, and a digital asset or crypto firm, uh, you know, I can tell you that my views on crypto is probably not necessarily loved within the crypto industry, but my view is that, thank goodness, right? If, if you were to ask me, hey, Brian, you know, there's 23,000 cryptocurrencies out there currently. Which one should I invest in? I would, I would tell you, don't invest in 23,000 of them. Or I would say that, look, if, if you have $100 or $1,000 or $100,000, and you know what, that's um, going to Vegas and losing that money uh, tonight is no big deal to you, then by all means, uh, put it in some of these digital assets. But the truth of the matter is that when we look at the realm of risk from an investing standpoint, you know, penny stocks, for example, is going to be probably one of the riskier investments most people could even possibly consider. And yet, even with penny stocks, there's at least a level of 
of oversight in some of the financials that they put together and some of the disclosure requirements so that you at least have some level of investor protection. There's really none of that on the crypto side. You know, when you talk about um, compliance from a from a digital asset perspective, you're really talking about their AML program and, and procedures, things such as culture of compliance, uh, written supervisory procedures, desktop procedures, a code of ethics. These are all very much foreign concepts to many digital asset firms, and therefore they are truly really behind the times when it comes to having any type of compliance culture. So I, I, when I worked in the crypto industry, I would have uh, pretty spirited uh, discussions with people that I consider way smarter than me, right? I mean, they are brilliant uh, technologists and they can probably code with ones and zeros and, and do all that faster than I can tie my shoes. But, but the point being is that when it came to compliance, there was a lot of scratching of the heads, right? Um, there, there's a feeling in the crypto industry that compliance will or regulations will stifle innovation. And I can tell you straight out that uh, unfortunately for, th for the crypto industry, in order for them to even be remotely accepted by the mainstream, there has to be a big brother element looking over their shoulder to make sure that the investing pu public is protected or as protected as can be. When you look at uh, some of the frauds that have occurred, it's no wonder, right? There, There is no real regulatory environment that is going to protect an investor. So it is really buyer beware. So again, you know, from my perspective, I think it's high time that the SEC and FINRA start getting involved. Now, one thing I will say, though, that I do disagree with is, um, well, I, I agree with um, Gary Gensler saying that, saying that um, uh, all cryptocurrencies are are uh, securities. I, I agree with that statement. However, I draw the line when he makes the one exception. However, Bitcoin is not a cryptocurrency. I, I, I have to call BS to that one because, again, when you look at a Bitcoin, it's no different. It's being purchased and sold no differently than any other, you know, stable coins or, or what we, we term shit coins if it's a really bad coin. But any of these crypto digital assets, Bitcoin and Ethereum, they are sold exactly the same. So again, uh, I welcome these regulations. I think it's high time. Uh, my hope is that maybe not FINRA, but maybe they create a FINRA-like agency that is specifically responsible for monitoring uh, the, the digital asset world. I have colleagues out there that will uh, swear to me and, and have spirited discussions saying, you know, how can you talk about crypto? Because crypto is not real. It's vaporware. It's make-believe. And I'm like, look, anytime you have an industry that has $3 trillion associated with that industry, hey, with th that many zeros, it's real. You may not want it to be real, but it is real. And when they say, but the only value is the value that a person puts in that coin, my argument is, yeah, but is that really that much different than um, any security, right? Um, um, you know, very few people spend time analyzing charts and, and what have you. Uh, most people go by, hey, I, I like Tesla. They're doing something cool. So we're going to invest in Tesla or, or Procter & Gamble because I buy their products or what have you. Um, emotion plays a huge role in what you perceive as valuable and crypto is no different. So again, welcome the crypto 
crypto uh, regulations, high time, and I look forward to seeing more of this coming out. Trials and Tribulations of Monmouth Capital Management. So in our previous episode of Staked, I mentioned that in general, when a firm gets in trouble, I do not plan to mention the firm's name because at the end of the day, many firms, when they do get in trouble, these are things that could happen to other firms, right? Uh, books, records, violations, uh, different record keeping issues, whatever the issue is, it, it's really more important to learn the lessons from what happened to that firm. But when I see a firm get in trouble for uh, really just egregious violations, yeah, I do feel like it's it's my responsibility to actually talk about that firm specifically. So in this case, I wanted to talk about Monmouth Capital Management. So Monmouth was recently expelled from thinner membership. And the, the long and short of it is that they had six registered reps that were excessively trading about 110 accounts, 42 of which were aggressively churned. Um, as, as we know, for the newer members to the industry, uh, a churned account simply means that excessive commissions were generated without any real business purpose behind the investments. So the uh, end result was that the, the firm earned $3.9 million in commissions and trading costs, uh, as well as incurring substantial losses to their clients. So it was a kind of a double whammy for those clients. Now, what they ultimately got suspended and expelled for was because they violated Reg BI care obligations, as well as Section 10B of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. Um, you know, what's interesting is that in one case, the customer had a cost to equity ratio of more than 103%. That basically essentially means that the client would need to grow their account by 103% just to cover commissions and trading costs. I, I don't even know how that firm could justify that type of fee, which obviously they couldn't justify, which is why they, they were uh, suspended and expelled. Now, the firm had been registered um, since uh, uh, July of 2018, so they weren't really a very well-established firm, but at the same time, they've been around for a while. But you know what really struck me is when I looked at the broker check for this firm, the, the firm uh, CEO himself had eight disclosures and the CCO had six disclosures. So, so it does beg the question, what kind of conversations were being had during the membership agreement, uh, you know, four or five years ago with executives with this type of, you know, p potentially checkered past? I, I know in my experience working with FINRA membership, anytime there's a, a, a ding on an executive's record, that certainly warrants a conversation. And in this case, the CEO had eight such dings and the CCO had six. And, and these were not uh, small matters, I might add. So, so that is uh, uh, one con question I had. The, the other thing, you know, I think that is a good lesson for all of us to think about is that when it comes to Reg BI, Reg BI has been around long enough now that I think the honeymoon period is over. Uh, FINRA has issued multiple notices about Reg BI and, and the obligations that firms have with complying with Reg BI. And at the end of the day, it is imperative that each firm take the time to do a retrospective review of their policies to make sure that it complies with all of the expectations of Reg BI. If, if you haven't done that, I think it, you're really just playing with fire and it's going to come back to potentially uh, harm 
you and, and your firm. So, so one piece of advice, always uh, do a retrospective review. And um, obviously most firms are not gonna go the route of Monmouth, but it just shows that FINRA is certainly looking for compliance with Reg BI. Bye-bye LIBOR, hello Secured Overnight Financing Rate. So LIBOR has recently gone bye-bye and is now being replaced by the Secured Overnight Financing Rate. So LIBOR came out back in the 70s, and as many of you know, it was basically a way for banks to have an adjusted rate uh, interest rate that was based on, on the market interest rates, and many, if not uh, most, bank products were based on some formula of LIBOR. It was usually LIBOR plus X percent of, of a markup that banks would charge, and that's what you, the consumer, would end up paying. So effective uh, June 30th, 2023, the secured overnight financing rate has uh, replaced LIBOR. Gary Gensler, uh, SEC chair, has provided comments to be uh, definitely cautious because there's been a couple of what I would call copycat or alternative rates introduced, um, alternatives to LIBOR or the overnight financing rate. And Gensler's um, uh, concern was that many of them share the same issues as LIBOR and what ultimately led to the market wanting to uh, to replace them. Namely, they tend to be thin markets with few underlying transactions, creating a system that is vulnerable to collapse and manipulation. Uh, a couple of uh, great classic examples, right? In, in 2008, uh, during the financial crisis, LIBOR rose, making loans more expensive uh, with those rates continuing to rise coupled with fears of stunted bank lending uh, this reduced the overall flow of money through the economy and what happened the entire market crashed because of that another great example of of LIBOR being problematic is back in uh, 2012 there's actually several major banks including Deutsche Bank and Barclays that basically was was in a process of uh, manipulating the LIBOR rate. What they would do is they would artificially put the LIBOR rate at a lower rate than other competing banks. Uh, what this would indicate to the, the markets is that um, the, the lower rates would supposedly indicate a smaller risk of default and therefore indicate uh, that the, um, the bank was in better overall financial strength compared to other banks of, of similar size and, and product makeup. So what they're able to do is by undercutting all of their competition. They essentially uh, received uh, millions and hundreds of millions of dollars of, of profit through these uh, mispriced bank loans. Thank you for listening to Staked, your weekly regulatory roundup of relevant regulatory news. As a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is for informational purpose only and should never be construed as legal or compliance advice. Staked is presented to you by Blue Ocean Consulting. This is your host, Brian Jacobson, saying thank you for listening to another episode of Staked.